Well, welcome to the Men's Global Livestream. If you have a Bible, I want you to hold two spots, one in John chapter 8 and one in Matthew chapter 10. We're in part three of a series called Turning the Tables, right? And what we're learning is that every man of God will see things, every man of God will recognize things, and every man of God will be called out of his love for God and in his identity in God to confront what he sees in a healthy way. In part one, we, we looked at how God will call us to confront ourselves, sometimes the hardest one of all. In part two, we talked about how God will call us to confront other brothers out of our love for God and in our identity in God. And in part three, we're gonna talk about how God will call every man of God to confront injustice versus what? Cause injustice. I mean, let's, let's put it this way. On this whole issue of injustice and evil on planet Earth, if you're a man and you're looking for encouragement, do not turn on cable news, all right? Because within seconds, you'll find yourself shaking your head. You'll see vulnerable or fatherless young men getting swept into violent crime and terrorizing people on the streets. You'll see powerful men, story after story of powerful men using their positions of influence or celebrity to take advantage of and exploit women. You'll see entire exposés on sexual industries or web-based industries built around, listen to this, built around men and their inability to control themselves and control their behaviors, right? I mean, every day around the world, there are thousands of stories that detail the negative outcomes of broken male character and culture. And you see the suffering that that causes. Now, before we slip into depression, right, as a community of men, there is a movement of guys who are turning the tables on broken male culture. And I like to put it this way, that you can see by contrast, light against the backdrop of darkness. So while broken male culture creates sort of a dark backdrop of behaviors and consequences that cause people to suffer, and it's very dark, against that dark backdrop, you can see light. You can see contrast. You can see a movement of men who are stepping up in the big and small spaces and confronting other men, confronting problems, confronting situations that they see in big spaces, in big areas, in big cities, in small spaces, in families and neighborhoods, where they are agenting God's love and God's justice. You see, for this community of men, for this movement of men, which we like to call the dangerous good movement, for them, staying invisible in the, in the context of all this dark injustice going on, that's not an option, all right? Sympathy is not a substitute for that community of men 
for action, all right? And their commission from Christ is really simple. Shine. Against the, the dark backdrop of the injustices that we see, our community of men, this global live stream, and a worldwide community of men, we're called to shine. The question is, will we? So in today's live stream, we want to see Jesus model confronting injustice in the Gospels. And we want to see him turn the tables on it, learn from him, and then get the biblical basis for why God calls every man of God into this confronting of injustice. So if you have the downloaded notes, I want you to look at the top of your notes and you'll see a passage of scripture from our, our, our first passage, John chapter eight. And we're gonna witness Jesus getting confronted. The, the injustice comes to him actually in this situation, but he has to see it, he has to recognize it, he has to confront it. So let's roll the film in John chapter eight. It says this, at dawn, he, Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, quote, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. What a tension-packed, tension-filled moment of both injustice and then justice. And the context of this is in Jesus's time, religious men created the, the context for both infidelity and divorce at their very whim. It wasn't God's plan. It wasn't according to God's decrees in his word. It was a religious movement and force in male culture that made it easy for men to do a couple of things, divorce and abandon their women, and then the consequence of divorcing and abandoning their women easily, sent women into prostitution. Uh, we see that in other stories uh, in the gospel, in the gospels. Um, and what's so ironic in this situation is it takes two to tango, all right? It wasn't just the woman 
in the act of adultery, but they chose to bring the woman instead of bringing the man. And there's something fundamentally unjust about that. So you have a married man who's choosing to do that, but they don't bring the married man before Jesus. They bring the woman who by the broken, because of the broken male culture over time, most likely was forced into prostitution. So I wanted you to have that context and just see on its face the injustice that is confronting Jesus right here. So let's let's unpack sort of the, the main themes in this and come to a conclusion biblically. So what do we see? Write this down. We see a woman who is being shamed morally, not the man, uh, because they were protected because of their anatomy. That's broken and that's unjust. Secondly, we see a group of men using this situation and her deceptively, right? When the Bible says the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, teachers of the law and Pharisees in that context, exclusively a men's club. So we see a group of men either concocting or poaching a situation and using this woman, exploiting this woman's, both her situation and the circumstance that she finds herself in deceptively. Third, we see a crowd of people witnessing this publicly. Now, it does not surprise the crowd that this is being uh, exposed. It doesn't surprise the crowd uh, who is agenting it, a group of religious men. Um, it doesn't surprise the crowd culturally, but they are witnessing what's happening. You have the woman, you have the group of religious men who are using this woman deceptively, and they're all watching this go down. They understand the issues, but no one is speaking up for her. Fourth, we see God's man in this case, the son of God, but he's God's man, he's God's son, intervening personally. So they, they use the situation, they being the group of men, they use the situation to try to trap Jesus and, and embarrass him and get him to decide something that they can leverage against him based on his decision. And we see God's man, Jesus, intervening personally, and he does it in a way that levels the playing field, that gives dignity back to the woman, puts everyone in the same boat, right? And stops someone from dying. Not a bad result, right? So deft. And of course, we look at Jesus and he's behaving in an unorthodox, maybe even an unmanly way. He's quiet before he talks. And they keep pounding him and pounding him. And he's riding on the ground. And when we get to heaven, we're going to ask Jesus what he was riding, but he's riding on the ground. I hope he was writing down their names. I don't know. But finally, Jesus, after stooping down, 
he rises up. Imagine the scene, right? Woman, group of men trying to use her deceptively, wondering if it's gonna succeed. The crowd watching it, and he stands up and he says, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Whoa, man, you talk about thunderous silence. So God's man intervenes. He doesn't throw a punch, but he steps between the injustice and the woman, and he intervenes. And then lastly is, is the outcome of that intervention. Everyone is convicted spiritually. So God wins and everyone is convicted. The, the woman, as we saw in the story, after everyone leaves, right? She's convicted spiritually by an experience with grace. Woman, where are your accusers? Well, they're gone. Well, neither do I, I, I accuse you. I do not condemn you. She is convicted by truth. Now go and leave your life of sin. Um, the group of men who were holding the stones, maybe the crowd, right, that were holding, they're convicted. They're like, yeah, he's right. All right, I'm not without sin. It's just that I'm not getting caught in the middle of my sin and marched out into the public. And so I imagine that you could just hear the thuds of the stones hitting the ground as people turned in and under conviction of the Holy Spirit and start just leaving the, the, the area. You see, what's so cool about this vignette is that Jesus was turning the tables on injustice. Everybody there knew how broken male culture had created this ecosystem that was self-serving. It served the man, if you had the right anatomy, you could do things and not get caught while women were caught and marched out into the public. And when I think about us as a community of men, or even as God's men walking planet Earth, that type of intervention is supposed to come out of us, all right? It says that in Matthew 12, 35, it's Jesus talking. He says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. You see, our insides as men come out. What we're really made of uh, comes out. And the key thing is that whether what's inside of us is good or whether what's inside of us is bad, it's gonna come out. And what we see here is the good inside of Jesus come out against injustice, out of his identity in the Father, out of his love for the Father, out of his love for those whom the Father loves and created. The good inside of him comes out. And that's really what I want us all to see.
is that evil inside of men is coming out. We see it every day on cable news and we hear stories. You know what needs to come out? The good. You know, I love this quote about that dynamic of good coming out and evil coming out and getting a victory. I love this, this quote by Edmund Burke. It says, when bad men combine, the good must associate, else they fall one by one, an unpitied sacrifice in a contemptible struggle. We see evil men combining to do evil things and make people suffer. The Bible tells us that as God's men, we need to combine and we need to come together and we need to confront that evil. So let's now turn from getting God's heart and watching Jesus intervene against injustice and just make the case for why God's man is called to confront injustice and make the connection from the God of righteousness and justice to the man of God, all right? Let's look at our verse, let's look at the next verse, Psalm 33, five, and we'll start making these connections, all right? Psalm 33, five says this, the Lord loves, circle that, righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. And so a simple reading tells us this. If you know God, then you know that he loves righteousness and justice. He loves people being rightly related to him and rightly relating to each other. That's just a good, simple, working definition of righteousness. Men rightly related to God and rightly relating to people and all their interactions with people. Righteousness, right? There's a flow. This connection is informing that connection. And then he loves justice. In other words, he loves to give people what they're due. If people are due compassion, they get compassion. If people are due protection, like the woman caught in adultery, they get protection, right? If people are due dignity because they're image bearers, they get dignity, right? If people are due discipline, they get discipline. That's justice, giving to others what is due. So the Bible says the Lord loves righteousness and justice. And if we love God, we love what he loves, and we hate what he hates, right? Let's go to the next scripture, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. It says this, let not the wise, the wise man boast of his wisdom or the, the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me that I am the Lord who exercises kindness justice and righteousness on earth. For in these, I delight. Again, God is saying in his word that we can boast in how much money we have, how strong we are, and how much we know. Or we can boast in the fact that we know God and we know what he likes. That he delights in kindness and righteousness and justice, right? Let's 
look at our next scripture. Because we'll see that not only does God love righteousness and justice, he's tracking it in his sons. Listen to this passage from Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7. It says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. So you have the vineyard of the Lord of hosts, which is the entire community of people who believe. And then he singles out the men in that community. You read, and the men of Judah, his delightful plant. And we have to remember that this is Isaiah, the prophet during the Babylonian exile. And the kings of Babylon had what are called hanging gardens. They were these immense, extravagant um, places where a king would escort visitors into these hanging gardens and he would point out his delightful plants. So that one's from this part of the world. And when we conquered that area, that, that plant came from here. And you have to understand that the garden, the hanging gardens for the king of Babylon were a place of pride. So the prophet during the Babylonian exile, Isaiah, he borrows this, this image and this, this cultural uh, truth of the king, the gardens of his delight, and his delightful trophies, right, his plant. And he, he projects that into our relationship with God as men, specifically. So he says, there's the realm and the people that God oversees, and then there's this, this garden of God's delight, and it's, it's the men. And he, he's, imagine the king walking through and just saying, you know, that's Bob, and that's Kenny, and that's Paul, and that's Martin, and that's Jack, and that's Randy. And God takes pride in his sons. God the Father takes pride in his sons. And what does he point out about them? What's he looking for? Right? He's looking for his sons to reflect back positively on him. That's why the passage says, Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed for righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. In other words, in this community of men that God is examining, which is supposed to give him delight and pride and pleasure, he's looking for his own character to be manifested in his sons. And man, is he ever disappointed. What does he see? Unrighteousness and injustice coming out of his sons and creating bloodshed and cries of distress. Now, as, as a men's pastor, as a leader in the men's movement, I see God's heart here and I see his heart for this community, every one of you listening to the sound of my voice, every one of you participating in this live stream, we are the garden of God's delight. And God wants to point to us in, in, in great pride and with great satisfaction 
But I have to report that what does he see? He sees bloodshed and he hears cries of distress. He hears the suffering that comes about from the injustices produced by broken male culture and character and conduct. Now, I want you to see that because God's tracking that. There's what's actually happening and then there's what God wants. And that's where I now want to turn the shift is got to really see what God wants. So God loves righteousness and justice. God's tracking righteousness and justice in this community right this second. And then I want you to see the model of Jesus and then we'll draw some conclusions. In Luke 4, Jesus initiates his public ministry. So for the first 30 years of his life, Jesus is the son of Mary and Joseph. In this moment, listen to this, he goes to the synagogue, opens the scroll of Isaiah, reads it, and then says, that's me. Let's roll the film in Isaiah chapter four. Jesus is reading the scroll of Isaiah, quote, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. We see Jesus describe what it means to be spirit empowered. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. In other words, the spirit is in control. God's spirit is controlling me. He's anointing me. He's falling on me to do what? To proclaim, and then he identifies some different audiences, to proclaim good news to the poor. To let those who feel left out of God's kingdom and poor spiritually, to let them know, you're not poor. God's kingdom is for you. You're rich, right? He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. That means that the things that hold you in bondage, the things that that keep you locked into a negative self-perception, circumstances, traumas, you can break free from that. You don't have to feel that way about yourself anymore because of God's presence. Recovery of sight to the blind. That includes physical blindness. That includes spiritual blindness. I was blind, but now I see. I used to think this way about myself. Now I see through God's love, I think this way about myself. My eyes have been opened. I'm made by God, I'm made for God. One day I'm going to God, right? To transition, to set the oppressed free, right? People who are weighted down, they're pressed down by circumstances, things out of their control, oppressed, right? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. God's favor now is invading these situations where people are feeling lonely, 
They're feeling left out. They're feeling disenfranchised from God, from prospering, from, from goodness. Because of things they, over which they have absolutely no control. They find themselves in these situations. So we see Jesus announcing his targets. This is who I'm going to. I'm going to the least, I'm going to the lost, and I'm going to the left out. What's the common denominators with all of these audiences that Jesus is called to? They need dignity. They need protection. They need to know that not only does God seize them, but God loves them. And when we watch Jesus operate in the Gospels, we see him do, after this announcement, do exactly that. He breaks the rules of the broken male culture of his time, and he touches the ethnically unacceptable, the physically unacceptable, the morally unacceptable, the professionally unacceptables. He touches the unacceptables. And what does he bring to them? Into their loneliness, he brings presence. Into their lack of dignity, he brings dignity. And he divests himself of his own dignity to give them dignity. So looking at those passages of scripture about the God of righteousness and justice, that God loves righteousness and justice, God's tracking righteousness and justice in us, right? That Jesus was the man of justice, giving people what was due in their circumstances. Let's, let's identify three truths. And the first truth we want to identify is that God's man loves what God loves. If God loves righteousness and justice, God's sons love righteousness and justice. God's sons love when people are rightly related to God and rightly related to wanting one another, making right choices that bless. If God loves justice, giving to people what is due, especially people who feel like they're the least or people who feel like they're lost in the system, people who are left out, right? And that is driving their self-perception and diminishing their worth, God loves justice, giving them what is due, all right? Second, God's man expresses who God is. It's not enough to love what God loves. We actually have to take action and express who God is, right? God is righteous and God is just. Not only does he love righteousness and justice, but he is righteous and just, and he wants us as his sons in his family to have the father's resemblance. Number three, God's man imitates God's son. The same spirit that came over Jesus and that called him into these domains of injustice to bring dignity, to bring protection, to bring a message that Hey, you might think you're not worthy of love or, or, or not valuable. I'm here to tell you, you are worthy and you are valuable because you're an image bearer. You're created in the image of God. So God's man loves what God loves. God's man expresses who God is. God's man imitates God's son. In Galatians 4, 6, not on your notes, it says that God has poured the spirit of his son into our hearts. So the same spirit 
that took over control of Jesus' public ministry lives in us, dwells in us, and wants to work the character and conduct of Christ out of us right now in today's moment as individuals and as a collective. Look at the next verse on your downloaded notes from Ephesians 5.1. It says this, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ, circle that, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself for us, gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So what do we see there? We see the command to imitate God, the God who loves righteousness and justice, the God who's tracking how we express and manifest righteousness and justice in the big and the small spaces of our lives, all right? And we see the model, and I had you circle in Galatians 5.1, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. We see what, what confronting injustice looks like. It's a no to yourself, and it's a yes to God and people. Really simple. When you confront injustice, just like Jesus did, it's a no to yourself. It's a no to your, your self-preservation, your self-gratification. It's a no to your self-convenience and your self-comfort. But it's also a yes. It's a yes to God and to other people. Now, I want you to think about people where loneliness I want you to think about people where a lack of dignity, I want you to think about people where there's a lack of worth are in today's culture. Where are they? What do they look like? What's happening to them, right? Because of the choices made by a man or men in their life. I want you to think about that. People who are lonely, people who lack dignity, people who lack worth. And it's because of a choice that created a consequence that ripples into them. There's a blast zone uh, emanating from a choice that a man or that men have made in their lives that impacts the way that they think about themselves and life and their purpose. Think about all the single moms Think about all the children of single moms who have to wake up every day and they see other families where the mom isn't single, the mom's married, and there's a dad. And they question, you know, was it me? Did I do something wrong? Why did I pick that guy? Look at where I am now. Breaks your heart. Think about those kids, fatherless. And we talk a lot about the dynamics of fatherlessness on kids and how it quadruples a whole cascade of negative dynamics in their lives and unhealth. Think about women who are trapped in the sex trade. Who's creating that demand? 
It creates a demand for that. Men do. You know, it makes me think about a time several years back when I took a group of men to uh, Harbor, Harbor City, uh, Compton and Watts here in Southern California, um, partnering with my wonderful black brothers and pastors and their men. And what we did is we identified uh, single moms in the community and uh, a group of us, black and white, uh, would show up, ring the doorbell, um, just let them know as a group of men um, that their name was given to us by their pastor and um, we had we had a we had a gift basket for them and in that gift basket was a lot of things and for school and for the kids and just meeting practical needs and we just wanted to know that they were seen by God they were loved by God and we wanted to be the hands and feet of that and then we would ask at the end of every encounter on every porch uh, is there anything we can pray for you anything you need and this one mom Tracy she said you know there is one thing that I really need she goes, um, our cat uh, has died and it went underneath our house to die and it's stinking up our entire house and we can't get it. And no sooner did she say that than I looked behind me and all the men had disappeared and they're trying to get in between the water meter and the brick to get under house to get that cat. But only one guy in our group could fit, his name was Dennis. Dennis was uh, a smaller dude, and man, Dennis wiggled his ray in there, had a garbage bag, grabs the cat, dead cat that's stinking up the entire house, and um, pulls it out, and uh, I remember the look on Tracy's face when we pulled that cat out from underneath her house. She just was blown away that a group of men would come, a group of men would bless, a group of men would, would go, to, go to bat for her. She just wasn't accustomed to that. In fact, she felt lonely, she felt uh, isolated, felt like no one saw her, but you know who saw her? God saw her. And when God sees people, we need to see people that God sees, and we need to step in and step up. And I just thought about that stinky smell in her house, that that was a daily reminder to her of her isolation, of her loneliness, of her circumstance. And I know that that isolation and loneliness contributed to, boy, where's God? Look at my life, a negative self-perception. Why did I make the choices I made? But then God sent the cavalry. And you know who it looked like? It looked like a community of spirit-empowered men I'm just wondering right now if there aren't some groups of people in your community that are waiting for you to either knock on their door or show up in their lives so that they can be seen, they can be recognized, and the devil can stop causing them to suffer. And we can turn the tables on broken male culture that may have created some circumstances that led to where they are, and in contrast, bring the light of Christ through the light of our community. You know, we're gonna look at our last passage. It's in Matthew chapter 10. 
And essentially, it is a mission briefing of Jesus with his guys. And I want you to, to lean in because I'm just going to say that this is a prophetic word from Jesus that, that travels from the first century because these words are internal to 2021 right now and beyond whenever you're listening to this. So let's listen to Jesus, men. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Quote, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. So let's unpack this mission briefing and let's accept it as a community of God's men right now all over the world in different areas who are being called to do the very same thing. So let's look at what Jesus gives us. Number one, Jesus gives us a sanction to fight. He gives them authority, the Bible says. Jesus called the 12 disciples to him and he gave them authority. So you don't have to, as a man or as a collective of men or as a group of men in church, you don't have to wait. You have the authority to act right now. Jesus has given you the authority. We need to yield to his authority in our lives, walk in that authority, and wield his authority. Second, Jesus gives us a message to forward. He says, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Man, what a great message to proclaim. Maybe a knock on the door. Hey, we're here, we're from this community church and tell her the name, and our pastor has uh, asked us to kind of make some visits, and we just wanted you to know that God sees you, God recognizes you, we wanna pray for you, we have a gift for you. Is there anything else we can do? That is the kingdom of heaven coming near to a situation. So identify those groups and then bring the message to people. Third, Jesus gives us targets to find. He says in this passage to his disciples, go to the sick, go to the dead, go to lepers, go to the demonized, all right, the oppressed. Can you think of people in your community who are oppressed by their circumstances? Who are maybe sick with loneliness? They might be physically sick, but they might be sick with an even deeper problem. They might be sick because of loneliness. Or maybe they feel isolated, like lepers. They're so different. They look different. Their circumstances are different. Their condition is different. Right? Go to them. Go to them. Bring the kingdom near. Those are the targets. Look for the least, the lost, the left out, the undignified, and divest yourself of your dignity and infuse them with worth in God's dignity. Number four, Jesus gives us power to free. 
he gives them imperative commands. He doesn't say, maybe heal the sick, maybe raise the dead, maybe cleanse those with leprosy, maybe drive out. No, he gives the present active imperative. He says, heal and keep healing the sick. Raise and keep raising the dead. Cleanse and keep cleansing the leper, right? Drive and keep driving out those demons, right? He gives us the power to free people. Fifth, Jesus gives us a charge to feel. It's one thing to direct people to do it, but then he gives a charge connected to their own experience. He says, freely you've received, freely give. And that is the engine that drives spirit-empowered men, dangerously good men, into these confrontations with cultural injustices. Next, Jesus gives us an image to remember. He says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. And you get that picture, you know, you got, you got sheep, kind of defenseless. They're the only domesticated animal that can't survive on its own, needs a lot of help. But the shepherd is with the sheep. The shepherd's doing the sending. And while we might feel vulnerable, we're not. The mighty one, the champion of justice is with us. The king is present, the ruler of all things. And so he gives us an image. Don't expect there to be applause. You're going out into enemy territory, but the king is with you. The shepherd is with you. Go take territory. And then lastly, Jesus gives us some commands to fulfill. He says, be shrewd and be innocent. You know, when we started today's study, we saw Jesus do exactly that. He was shrewd. What does that mean? He was thoughtful. He was discerning. He was intentional. He was sharp. Thought it through. He was deliberative. Right? Be shrewd. But then he was also innocent. He did something that was unequivocally right and good. There's no questioning stepping in to protect that woman caught in adultery against the injustices surrounding that circumstance. It was unequivocally, undeniably right and righteous and just. And so Jesus tells us to do the same thing. He says, be shrewd, right? Be discerning, be deliberative, be thoughtful. There's an, there, there's an enemy that's against what you're doing. Be innocent, right? I want you to hear the heart of a man who, who loves what God loves, who expresses who God is, and who imitates God's son. His name is William Booth. He's, he's a brother who is with Jesus now, but while he was alive, he felt deeply about what we're talking about today. He said, while women weep as they do now, I'll fight. While little children go hungry as they do now, I'll fight. While men go to prison in and out, in and out, as they do now, I'll fight. While there is a drunkard left, while there is a poor lost girl on the streets, 
all fight, while there remains one dark soul without the light of God. I'll fight. I'll fight to the very end. William Booth is a man of God. William Booth loves what God loves, expresses who God is, and imitates God's Son. And when we think about confronting injustice as spirit-empowered men, we got to recognize that turning the tables on injustice means taking the hits. Talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. It says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Fellas, if you're going to turn the tables on injustice, you're going to have to be ready to take the hits and take the blowback, right? Because what are you doing when you bring justice? You expose injustice. And the things and men and cultural practices that you exposed are not happy that they've been exposed. People make money off injustice. These are people's livelihoods, right? And by exposing it and wanting to end it, right, you're going to get blowback. You're going to take some hits, and they're going to attack you, and they're going to attack your Christianity. So when you step in, or your men's group steps in, or maybe the men of your church step in, when you step in, when your group steps in, when you rise up, don't expect applause. When you say, enough, there's going to be a counter feeling that's going to say, no, we want more. And so expect suffering. But when you suffer to bring justice to the least, the lost, the left out, those who need dignity, need protection, and need to know their worth, right? we're going to rejoice. And I love when the passage says that Rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. One day, you and I are going to stand before Jesus. And my mission is that you are overjoyed. In other words, you're overwhelmed. You're caught up in a tidal wave of joy that is, that is inexpressible because you decided now that you were gonna turn the tables on injustice in the big and small spaces where you live. So expect a battle and remember that God sees you and remember that future moment when you're not gonna regret what you did now, you're gonna be overjoyed. So let's pray and let's ask God to move in us individually and as a collective around the world to turn the tables on injustice.
whenever we see it and confront it. Father, thank you that you love righteousness and justice. And thank you that you want us to know that about you, to know you, the one who exercises kindness and righteous and justice, justice on the earth. For in those things you delight. So God, help us to know you well enough to love what you love and to hate what you hate. We thank you, God, that you're a good father who wants to see good character and conduct come out of his sons in these areas. You want us rightly thinking and relating to you so that we can rightly think about and relate to our world and to other people. And you want us to express that. You want us to take action. Sympathy is not a substitute for action. And then, God, you want us to imitate Jesus. Holy Spirit, fill us so we can imitate Jesus in the big and small spaces where we find ourselves. God, I declare victories and visions right now. Victories over injustice and visions of bringing your righteousness and justice in communities and locations all over the world. Lord, even right now, I just, I know that you are bringing to mind issues in men's minds that boil their blood and break their heart. Why? Because it boils your blood and it breaks your heart. And Lord, when they see it, no matter what the odds, Lord, move them to action. Move their faith in you and in your word and what we heard this morning into action. And so God, I declare victories and I declare visions, Lord, and I declare movement. I declare transformation in neighborhoods and cities all over the world right now as the Spirit of Christ rises up in your men and your sons. Bless these men as they risk today and in the days to come to bring your dignity, your protection, your righteousness, and your justice to their world. In Jesus' name, we ask this and declare it. And God's men said, amen.